This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This podcast is sponsored by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 5000 is the latest digital autopilot, providing increased safety plus decreased pilot workload. It's being certified for Part 23 and Part 25 retrofit aircraft, such as high-performance turboprop and turbine jet aircraft. To learn more about the STEC 5000, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. Big news this week, we're going to be talking about FAA reauthorization. It's complicated, it's a little boring, but it's important, so make sure you pay attention. And something that we all pay attention to would be the AFD. However, it's going away. we got a couple other headlines for you, and then our special guests. We're going to hear from Dave Hirschman and Chris Rose, two AOPA staffers, and they went to the Burning Man Festival I'm really, really interested in where the sand went when they went there. All right, Dave, you ready to do this? Let's do it. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. And uh, you've reached Hangar Talk. So, quick five headlines of the week. Dave, we're starting number five. Remos, back in the U.S.? Yeah, the Remos airplane uh, is going to be fuel-injected this time. I don't know if anyone has ever tried to synchronize carburetors on the engine they used to have. Have you done that, Ian? <laughs> no, but I did run on a fuel once in a carbureted car, and that, that wasn't so good. No, that's not good. But let me tell you, you haven't lived until you've tried to synchronize at least two carburetors. I had a 240Z back in the day. It was a pain. But try doing it with three Weber carburetors. It takes it to a whole new level. But, uh, but uh, the pilots in the new Remos will not have that problem, will they? No. So fuel injection, and that's, of course, the Rotax engine, which is that key start, key off anyway. And uh, they've been out for a few years. You know, uh, AOPA's sweepstakes airplane back a couple years ago was a Remos. It was in 2010, and I talked to Dave Hirschman about that. He said that he really liked that plane. He flew it from coast to coast and said it had some good handling qualities. So yeah. I'm glad to see that back. Yeah, it was fun, and it is good to have them back. It's uh, German-made, but uh, U.S. Uh, distributor Skybound Aviation, I think it is, in the Midwest. You are on the money with that one, Ian, and it looks like that they might be the last of the American dealers to survive a uh, Remus withdrawal from the market, but they're not totally gone. Cool, cool. So back, that's great. And uh, next, you mentioned it in the intro, a new AFD. AFD is gone. It's kind of confusing. What's that all about? Okay, I wrote a little story about that, that this <laughs> week. Uh, I was intrigued by it. But basically, you know, all pilots uh, and instructors know, love, and actually hate the uh, the green AFDs that we have in our in our bags. But now, first of all, do you know that you can get some of that material downloadable now? 
Yeah, that's the, in fact, a lot of charts, too. So all that info, you can just go to the uh, FAA's website and get it piece by piece, right? Yeah, that's true. So if you, you, know, if you don't want to carry around the, the booklets, um, but it's like a, a pilot's handbook, I would like to say, or the pilot's Bible. Anyway, the material inside the uh, AFD uh, will be the same. It's going to have a, a different name. But um, and you've already got an acronym for this new main. It's Chart Supplement <laughs> is the name. Is that right? When the FAA put their little re- news release out, they called it the Chart Supplement US. So I thought CSUS would be good. <laughs> now they rewrote it, and it's now the US Chart su- Supplement. So that would be USCS. Yeah, that which you, a little harder. Yeah, which do you think is better? <laughs> Maybe we'll call it Chart Sup or or the Sup or something like that. I like the like, Sup. Yeah, and, the Sup. You, and you're an instructor too. So yeah. how will that affect you? Well, sorry to say, it's like the the green books became, while essential and they have lots of information, actually that it's hard to find in apps. Um, you got to teach to what students are going to use. And I think, you know, the green books are, are kind of going by the way of the dodo and a lot of people are just using apps. And so that's where they're going to find all that uh, all that airport information and Navate information and everything else. They are. And in fact, AOPA has its own app, which is really quite good. It's got good airport information, runway information, communication frequencies. It's really a, a nice, not a really a nice one to have uh, with you at all times. They know the green books, AFDs have uh, seven regional publications, seven regional manuals. And uh, the big thing is that the FAA updates them every 56 days. So uh, if we're going to call them the CSUSs or the SUPs, uh, one other thing that students and instructors need to get a handle on is that all the testing will now involve that new name. So you got to grab it and embrace it and just give it a big green hug. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, actually, just this last week, uh, number three headline, we're coming off Mod Arrow. All kind of a new event. You know, we've got uh, Oshkosh, Sun and Fun. But a couple of younger guys wanted to have a bit of a younger event for a younger audience. And so they started the Spring Break for Pilots, they were calling it. That is so cool. It's in uh, Houston, Texas, and there's a facility right across from the airport that's basically a convention center. And the idea, Ian, was to have pilots and student pilots come and enjoy the entire event. Not just aviation, but concerts. That's right, yeah. And a drone race. Yeah. (laughs) That's cool. That is cool. And so um, I know we had a couple of folks go down. The weather, I guess, wasn't the greatest. That hurt them a little bit, I think. It looked like it might have, but kudos to them and to Brian Columbus, who I spoke to ahead of time, for pulling it together. I think it's really cool to get newer uh, aviation events and and really open our arms and get more people involved, and younger people, too. Yeah, I agree. And In fact, you just had a story last week. There's a... uh, a young uh, woman who built an airplane, and she's really notable on the golf scene, I guess. Yeah, let me tell you a little bit about Abby Carlson. She's from, uh, I guess, Central Florida, and she helped teammates in her class uh, build an RV-12. It was part of their experimental science class, if I recall, and Abby is a junior golfer. I spoke to her at length, and she's been in tournaments all across the country. In fact, she played with a friend of mine's daughter up in Canada. Hmm. Yeah, and she's uh, she's also a recent soloist, pilot soloist. So she soloed not the RV-12 that she helped build, but they built two down wow. at this school, at uh, Circle Christian in Florida. But she soloed the first plane. Hmm. And uh, Abby's got 15 hours, she told me. She's balancing schoolwork with aviation and golf. And she's an incoming freshman at Vanderbilt. All right, Dave, so Red Bull. 
Uh, they had their first race a couple weeks ago and uh, looking good for the Americans this time. The Americans so far, Ian, have done better this season than they did in all of the past two seasons. Yeah, so they, um, I know they've had a couple of retirements there with some big names, but Americans moving up. Uh, Kirby uh, Chambliss and Mike Gullion. Mike, I know especially, had a lot of work on his airplane over the winter. Mike did have a lot of work done on his Edge 540 racer, and that helped him uh, qualify with the third fastest time in the field this time. Yeah, and then they ended up uh, four and five, I think it was. You are right on that, and that is way better than they've ever done. Yeah, that's awesome. So I uh, can't wait to see what happens there. And the next race, you know, they don't have them all the time like NASCAR. The next one's in uh, Austria in about a month. That's true, but, you know, you don't have to wait that long if you want to see Gullion. You can check them out at Sun and Fun. Now, Top headline. It's big news. We got to talk about it. A um, little complicated, but uh, I think we can get through it. FAA reauthorization. So give me the, the shorthead FAA reauthorization. What's that all about? Well, I'm just going by some of my notes because it's so complicated, <laughs> Ian. But uh, it looks like uh, the ATC is going to stay with the FAA. That's a good thing for us, don't you think? That's your prediction? I hope so. Yeah. Um, it looks like we're going to have some streamlined certification as part of this process. Yeah, we hope so. And what's the big thing for us? There's a couple of pillars that we stand against. Yeah, so against, obviously, user fees. That's a no-no for us. Non-starter, always will be, always has been. And um, so where the confusion lies, is, of course, is in the two sides of Congress. We've got the House and the Senate. The House bill, um, Bill Schuster's bill, uh, Representative Schuster, that had privatized ATC and to pay for that, user fees on some parts of GA, 135. But we don't want to split up, right? We say united, we got to stay together against user fees. We stand together, no user fees. I think Mark Baker, AOPA president, has been extremely clear on this. And uh, he says, no user fees. And I know our members who comment frequently on our articles uh, that we have on AOPA.org, they uh, frequently will... Um, will comment and they are steadfastly against user fees and they're all very interested in third class medical reform which is part of this bigger bill that's right um it's in uh, both sides actually both the senate and the house versions have that uh, third class medical reform the senate we like a little better because they're not trying to tackle privatization which is a just a monster issue and will really slow down the whole process and for us slow down third class medical which is what we're really focused on right on and uh the third class medical reform that's something that has been moving ahead a little bit and we we tend to see the light at the at the end of the tunnel on that yeah. i'm hoping that uh that we can really turn the corner with that and then we get some good agreement Basically, um, what needs to happen is uh, the House bill kind of moved forward and then stalled. Senate bill is moving forward slowly. Of course, third-class medical, there's another standalone Senate bill um, that already uh, passed. But what we're hoping is that um, basically, you know, we've got the, uh, the short-term extensions that's, uh, that are coming into play. Hopefully, the privatization thing will, if they need to study it, fine, but study it outside the, uh, the reauthorization process so we can get that done and get third-class medical and all the other really important stuff, certification reform keep that moving it sounds really complicated and once you talk about government and how it moves and and it goes forward and it goes backwards it's a lot of give and take with yeah. that uh, but let's bring this back a, a full circle real quick and let's talk a little bit about something that probably is interesting and important to a lot of aircraft owners and, and let's talk a little bit about aircraft certification yeah and getting some of that newer technology into our cockpits yeah so that's uh that part of it we love obviously that part 23 rewrite um, the FAA basically saying, hey, we are going to develop a safety standard, um, and within that safety standard, you have more flexibility 
to bring in these really innovative things that we see in the experimental market they've been doing safely for years. So that uh, that could be a huge boost. I would love to see stuff like that uh, just be at our fingertips. I mean, it makes it so much safer, it seems like. Yeah. And uh, I know that Mark Baker, uh, AOPA's uh, president, once again has said that NPRM is long overdue. The reforms are long overdue for these yeah. aircraft certificates. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Cool. Okay, so that's the news. Uh, but now, you know, we got to have a little fun. So we, uh, we brought Chris and Dave in, and, uh, and I had a chat with them a couple weeks ago. They went to uh, Burning Man last uh, September, I guess it was. It, you, do you know Burning Man? Have you heard of Burning Man? I had always heard about Burning Man. And when I heard these two guys were going to go, I was like, man, I want to be a stowaway in that plane. <laughs> so uh, I think, you know, pop culture, we know Burning Man. It's a sort of uh, kind of no rules, art expression sort of festival, middle of the desert. Um, so it's, you know, it's like freezing at night, burning during the day. Um, the whole idea around this, they call it burning man because they build up these structures and then torch them at the end. I'm really interested in how they got along in the desert. Now, now one thing, I don't know if you know this about Dave Hirschman, but he also was in the desert uh, during uh, one of the conflicts. And um, that was back when he and I worked at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution together. And he went overseas. So he's got some desert experience there yeah. in the Iraqi desert. Yeah, that's right. So, so we'll see how the uh, Nevada desert uh, compares to the Iraqi desert for Dave and uh, and Chris, who's a newbie to the whole desert environment. But wasn't, it, wasn't Chris's idea to get, get us going out there? I thought that he lobbied pretty hard to go to Burning Man. Yeah, he's always wanted to see it. But, you know, Dave, actually, what he discovered is it's not just, you know, like you go and you have fun. There's an aviation side, and, that, and it, which is huge, and that these guys build this airport out of nothing run it for a week, all volunteer, and then at the end of the week it's gone and they have to do it all over again next year. It's almost, it's almost like it's a, a, a vision in the middle of the desert. It just pops up and it's there and it's a hubbub of activity and then it disappears again until the next year. Yeah, it's fascinating. Mysterious. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, my impression of Burning Man has always been kind of a, you know, a counterculture art festival uh, slash uh, big party in the desert. And uh, for the most part, I, I guess that's kind of kind of what it was. Yeah, I think it's that's a- accurate. Um, you know, the, the the tales of debauchery, from my estimation, are way overblown. I thought I thought people were extremely well behaved, considerate and it was a fun event, and and you know I've been lucky enough to fly into a lot of different aviation events, whether it's Oshkosh or Sun and Fun. You know, we've uh, Chris and I flew together to the North Fork of the Salmon River. We've done some backcountry flying together. This was totally original. I mean, it's it's from a, it's it's can be a little bit challenging from an aviation standpoint, but the experience of doing it was totally unique. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. it was it was a lot of fun, and and Dave's right there. You know, I didn't. I guess everybody has has this idea that it's kind of this free for all, and and you know it is definitely a bit of a free for all. But as far everybody's really nice, everybody's well behaved. Uh, I think the really the the underlying theme was everybody's very respectful to everyone else, which was nice. Hmm. So, so that's kind of what it is. Now, some of that in, in the flight, and I don't want to get into that, but uh, in the flight end, but the guiding principles it's it's a unique event in that they have this sort of core set of values that they put out there pretty publicly so remind me what are are those well some of the main ones are you know they're 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 the the ones you'd kind of expect from an art festival which is you know radical freedom of expression 
but a lot of them, you know, pilots would be really comfortable with like um, extreme self-reliance. You know, you've got to, you've got to everything you need for the time that you're there. You've got to bring in there. And, you know, pilots are used to being independent and self-sufficient, and that fits right in with what we do. Um, also, leave no trace. When this, this event springs from nothing, you know, the, uh, this dry lake bed where they hold it is, is completely natural. Then they have this influx of 70,000 people during the event. And the week after the event, it turns to its previous condition of no trace. So, um, you know, and pilots are, are used to that, too. You know, we don't don't like to leave messes behind. So, But when you go in there, you plan that everything you bring in, you bring out, trash included. Hmm. And it's a – you know, one of the things that I had a hard time dealing with was it is – it's a completely non-monetary society. So there's – money does not change hands there except – when you fly in, hmm. um, there's some fees, but uh, it was strange being sort of in the in the middle of this big, you know, temporary city, and really not being able to to buy things it was a little a little unusual. So um, you don't have to leave through the gift shop or anything you don't like have that to leave on the way. The gift shop, but if you're if you want a you know if you want a bottle of water, you either have to ask somebody or bring it yourself because there's there's no store to buy it in. And there's no advertising, which is and there's which no, is kind right, of amazing. No you know, there's no you're not being bombarded with commercial messages mm. the whole time. Not that you there. would see it anyways, because there's so much, so many other things going on. It's uh, it is definitely a um, sensory overload. I think would be a good word for it. And mm. the term they use for the no money aspect is gifting, and um, it's kind of it's it's not barter. You know, barter is. You give something, you get something back of equal or greater value. Hopefully, this is not this is not barter. This is you give things away with no expectation of receiving anything in return, and that is something that plays well with the pilots there because what the pilots really like to gift is airplane rides, and um, and there are what they call serial gifters among the pilots who who go to the event largely to take people flying and they take dozens scores sometimes as many as a hundred people flying during the event and really i've got to say it's a it's a really positive way to introduce people to general aviation now you guys decided you want to fly in i mean you can't you can go to burning man you can drive in like the rest of the dozens of thousands of people there but that's what makes it unique is really this airport and so talk a little bit about the preparations that went into it i know that many different airplanes you'd considered and uh and david came down to your mom's airplane actually at the time that's right it was a rv10 and the rv10 turned out to be a really perfect tool for the job because it carries a lot it's good on soft fields um it's got great range and the thing is is you can't buy avgas at the event you can't buy any fuel at the event it just it just unless you make your own arrangements to have fuel brought in it doesn't exist there so um, my main concern really was protecting the airplane while it's parked on this this dry lake bed. It's kind of like taking your it's kind of like taking uh, your your friend's parents' car to a uh, spring break. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good comparison, and it's like you know the environment there is extremely harsh. I mean, the wind blows, this dust gets in in everything, and um, and my main concern was protecting the airplane, and I kind of went a bit overboard because. I brought um, 
this sort of a saran wrap, like sheets of it, and covered pallet every wrap, yeah. yeah, just pallet wrap, and it, and cover you know we covered the entire airplane in this sort of airplane condom is what what somebody there thought that it looked like it was uh it you know there was there was no way that any dust was going to get inside that that airplane during the the time that i had it there always practice safe aviation (laughs) first thing we did when we left there was landed at winnemucca nevada which was about 60 nautical miles away and um and gave it a good hosing down i mean it was it was um I was pleased that it that 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 it, it you know there were no lasting bad effects of having it out in the desert. Hmm. So you go to Costco, you buy the pallet wrap and uh, and the tape and everything else. What uh, what else? What else would you bring to Burning Man and have to prepare for uh, mm-hmm. for the flight in and, and and keeping the airplane there that you wouldn't necessarily think about on a normal you know hamburger run? Well, water. You know, I mean, we we, yeah. t- we talked about uh, Avgas. <laughs> they don't have it. Um, you know, tools in case anything breaks. Um, you know, we needed uh, to bring our own water for the week, and then the normal sort of camping supplies. Um, and in, for the in airplane specific things, you know, you need cow plugs. You need um, really good tie downs. Yeah. You know, you need to be able to. There, there aren't tie downs there. The the desert floor is this hard baked sort of clay, and you need to be able to have some long sort of screw in devices that you can that you can secure the airplane. Yeah, if you're gonna pound something into the ground, don't think that you're gonna do it with, uh, you know, a a shoe or uh, you know a, even a ma- a rubber mallet. It's gonna take a real a real hammer to pound it in because hmm. it's like it's like concrete. Hmm. And uh, what about the runway surface? What is it like? You know, the runway surface itself was surprisingly smooth and long. It's a it's a it, there are two five thousand foot runways there. One for takeoff, one for landing, and it, they were—they had been rolled, they had been, um, you know, uh, sprayed with water in advance, and really well prepared for the arrivals. They were marked with um, with sort of traffic cones at the edges, and um, and the runways themselves were in really terrific shape. We saw a uh, we saw a couple of jets take off and yeah. land during the time that was there. There was a there was an old Learjet, and there was a um, Citation, you know, a Citation One that uh that we saw come and go as well as you know turboprops came came and went all the time and um the GA airplanes that were there ranged from you know sort of light uh light sport airplanes there was a, a few trikes and um I think 182s were the most popular 172s 182s there's even two, a couple of helicopters there that's true yeah. it, a jet ranger there mm-hmm. was uh there were a couple of uh cirrus airplanes the thing that that um that I was concerned about with with the RV10 was that it's got pretty tight wheel fairings, so I took the wheel fairings off before going there, and I was was kind of uh, kicking myself most of the way because it, it, it's like man, the the airspeed really drops off like 15 knots or more from having the <laughs> wheels open, and I was really missing having the wheel fairings <clears> on the trip out there. And then when we landed, I thought, wow, this runway is so smooth. I didn't need to take off the wheel fairings. The one time that I was glad that I did is when we left the runway surface, we taxied to the ramp. That's a place that's pretty soft. Mm. And so, um, so you know, I, I would recommend no wheel fairings for fixed gear airplanes. But but uh, I saw other uh, fixed gear airplanes that did have wheel fairings that seemed to be doing just fine. Mm. And so the prep is, um, again, you've got this weird sort of modern Woodstock feel of a festival, but then this really hardcore no joke sort of preparation that you have to do 
to uh, to actually fly in. Like uh, there's some procedures and a test and all that kind of stuff as well, right? Right. right. And I frankly was really surprised by the amount of of it's not. It, I mean, it's it's self regulation. It's it's rules imposed by Burning Man itself because you have this idea that it's like it's like hey, this is. This is a free for all. This is a sort of hippie convention. Make it up as you go, whatever feels right, you know. But it's like it's not that way at all. You've got to um, to to get permission to land at the air airfield, which is a private airfield. You've got to pass. Uh, I think it's thirty questions, and you know they have definite procedures, and there's things that you need to do. You need to and agreements that you have to make and sign to get permission to land at the airfield. And when you check in on the Unicom, you know, you're the first thing that they ask is, do you have the documents on board? And, and, <laughs> papers, and, and, and you've got to say, you've got the, you've got to have the proper pa- uh, papers in order to land at Burning Man. So, um, so you've landed and then there's this, there's a ritual, you know, it wouldn't be like, a crazy festival if there wasn't sort of a made-up ritual when you get there. So talk, talk about the ritual a little bit. Well, it, the ritual seems to be uh, rolling around in dust. Uh, you just lay down and kind of make uh, a dust angel. Well, but before that, <laughs> before that even happens, though, you, we, you were met by the interceptors. Yes, the interceptors. Uh, what was a golf cart full of, um, you know, uh, women dressed, uh, we'll just say scantily, uh, but they were very nice. They showed up. They they greeted us, uh, gave us a couple of bottles of water, and you know checked to see if we needed anything. Made sure we made it all right, and uh, it was it was a nice nice welcome to the desert. <laughs> right. Then you roll in the. <laughs> then, dirt. You roll then you roll. Then you roll in. And then you and then you ring a bell. Yeah. There you go. So and at some point you mentioned cash. This is the one cash transaction you have. The, the one whole time cash there. transaction. Yeah. yeah. You, when you get there, you. Uh, I can't remember what the fee was. Like forty bucks. Forty bucks. Hmm. Cash on the barrel head. And the, and, and <laughs> cash the, on the barrel head. And the bet. thing is, is that that uh, if you think about this as an organization by and for sort of free spirits, you'll be surprised and kind of disappointed because it's like it's really like it's just a really a big business. This is a a large. It's a large corporation that runs this event. They bring in tens of millions of dollars of revenue. And if you think about them like in mafia terms, if they're the Sopranos, then it's like I think you'll be pretty close to on target because they are all these some of a lot of these rules that they develop are really to prevent gate jumpers. You know, they want to make sure that everybody who who comes there, you know, has tickets, that they've paid the full price for for the tickets, that the check has cleared and that. They want to satisfy their revenue requirements before you hear anything else. So it's like forty bucks cash on the barrel head. They check your your tickets to make sure that, that they're not forgeries, and it's then and only then do you get to the the uh, the event itself because they are very serious about making sure that they collect the money. Yeah, I, you know, I couldn't help but notice the website. It's like radical inclusion and uh, community and leave no trace. And oh, here's our annual report. You know, it's yeah, like this yeah. weird mix of uh of cultures yeah i think the days of you know like the the original woodstock where they just take down the fences and let everybody else in it's those those days are gone any any time you can bring those that number of people in um it, it's a money-making business it mm-hmm. is and it, that doesn't take away from the fact that it's a it's a wonderful event it really is um and there is a lot of art and self-expression and uh a lot of good times had by a lot of people, but you know, uh, things do have to get paid for. Land 
land has to get leased. Um, there's security and everything else involved. So hmm. you would kind of expect it to be, you know, to some degree, a profit center. So yeah, now I, I got to say, I was surprised by the extent. Not opposed. Understand that it's like to keep it going, it requires funds. The uh, the 10 principles, they dovetail real nicely with this event making money. Like even the Leave No Trace, for example, it's like, boy, that's a great way to cut down on your expenses of, of cleaning up afterwards. <laughs> and the radical self-reliance, that's a great way to avoid having to bring more things in so if you're looking at, if you're looking for them to gift you a ticket that's not going to happen yeah because well this trip is almost off multiple times leading up to it because the, there's the whole i mean it's like the super bowl what there's a lottery for the tickets right and then a right. huge secondary market oh absolutely right and there's and and as i was saying before about you know the financial motive they um the burning man the organization wants to control not just the ticket sales and the lottery they want to control any secondary market or squelch anybody from selling their tickets on their own or scalping tickets. So if they see on you know tickets on the web for sale, um, and they see they, the organization finds out what the ticket number is on those tickets, they will they will cancel those tickets. And when you get there and scan them, you'll be turned away because wow. um, because your tickets are didn't go through the proper channels in their in their eyes. Jeez. Don't get turned away from Burning Man. It's a long way back home. Yeah. <laughs> and if you really want to meet some sketchy people, just advertise on Craigslist that you are looking for Burning Man tickets. <laughs> and you will get you will, it will you come will, out of the woodwork. The, you will you will encounter such a menagerie of thieves <laughs> and psychos and weirdos that it'll blow your mind. So uh so plan ahead and get into the lottery process is right. uh is the, the moral of the story there. Dave, you had the airplane, but Chris, you had some special uh considerations as far as gear. Sure. Yeah. Goes. Well, you know, going into this, I, I knew that things were going to get dusty and dirty. Um, I didn't quite know it to the extent that it actually happened. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I kind of pared down my gear as much as I could. Uh, luckily, the gear that I shoot with tends to be fairly well weatherproofed. Um, but it, it was, you know, I really had to place my faith in the... Uh, and the weather sealing on the cameras because uh, it was it was really dusty, and you have to take you know there's no plugs are in short demand with people trying to charge cell phones and other devices. So uh, you know I took a portable battery pack that could charge all my batteries. Uh, I took extra batteries for my camera. Um, tried to seal up things as much as possible. Anything that you put into a camera bag went into a you know a Ziploc storage bag before that. And when it came time to have to change up lenses and things like that, um, you know, you try to do it in the in the most dust-free place you can. But in the end, you have to accept you're you're going to come back with a lot of debris on your equipment. Hmm. So now you both uh, you both spent time in the outdoors. You both camp. Dave, you spent some time in the desert in Iraq as a reporter, um, as a camping experience, as an as an excursion. What's what's it like? It's um, challenging. Yeah, I, I mean, would really. say, I mean, think about uh, it, the temperature extremes that take place every day. You know, it'll be in the typically in about the 40s, low 40s at night, and it'll be in the 90s or, you know, pushing 100 degrees during the daytime. You know, you've, you've uh, you know, dehydration can be a, a problem. You know, wind, it's, it's uh, that, you know, our tents, 
you know, you're, I mean, in the middle of the night, you're holding on to the sides of the tent, just hoping that the stakes can somehow manage to hold in. You know, it's the wind's blowing 40 knots outside of the temp tents are just shaking. And, you know, I thought, you know, 10 years ago, I spent several months uh, camping in the Middle East desert with the, uh, with the U S army as an embedded reporter in Iraq. And I thought, um, this is going to be just like that. And when you get there, it feels just like that. You're eating MREs. You're, uh, you know, you're, 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 you're sleeping in a, in a dusty cot. You're, um, you know, and, and, uh, and I was thinking that, man, all that's, at least we're not getting shot at out here. And then, and then, uh, the first night we were there, I hear these mortars go off and it's like, wow, this is really, they're they are taking planes to make this just like Iraq. And fortunately, I mean, it was just the beginning of a fireworks show, but it's like, I, I, I had this very clear memory of, of, you know, the cold, the wind, the dryness of the desert, this dust. And I'm thinking, this is just like Iraq. And man, when I hear those mortars go off, it's like, man, I thought I was done with this place a long time ago, but I just, I feel like I'm right back there. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was challenging. Uh, you know, Dave and I have been on a lot of trips together. We've been you know up into Alaska and on the you know uh, on the backcountry of Idaho and things like that. And those those present their own challenges. But this one was truly you know after having spent a lifetime camping, I can say that you know those uh, few days out on the desert were some of the more challenging uh, that I've ever had. Hmm. And the secret to getting by in the desert, I mean, ob- you obviously got the sunscreen. But um, the the essentials for Burning Man are baby wipes because you know, there's no showers. You gotta you gotta get clean somehow. Baby wipes are a good way to do it. Also, uh, earplugs because it is so loud at night. I mean, there's party there's party and music going on all night. If you want to get any sleep, you need some foam earplugs. And then goggles. You know, yeah. goggles are essential. That um, the amount of dust that swirls around there is is choking. Right. And so, uh, you know, so goggles huh. and and something, you know, a filter to breathe through, whether it's a a mask or some sort of wrap. But it's 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 that that is essential. And then, you know, um, for me, it's long sleeves clothes. You know, I mean, even if it's even though it's hot outside, if you've got long pants and you've got a long shirt to protect your skin from sun the sun yeah i definitely uh definitely with dave on the goggles it's just you know don't just bring one pair bring a couple pairs (laughs) because if you lose a pair you are going to be really really miserable and so the uh the cool way to do it the 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 burning man way to do it is you incorporate the goggles into the costume because you got to have a costume this is one of the you know if you want to sort of fit in (laughs) yeah yeah so uh so talk about did you guys uh did you plan costumes or did you say, oh, forget it, I'm here on assignment, I'm going <clears> to <throat> play this straight? Well, you know, at first I guess I thought, you know, maybe I'll just kind of play it straight. But then I thought, yeah, maybe maybe I'll just throw a top hat in the mix. So, uh, you know, and I, so I, I think part of my co- my costume kind of developed out of necessity, you know, because I typically, you know, wear uh, – you know, wear long pants and boots and things like that when I'm on assignment. So it sort of morphed into this top hat goggles, uh, you know, the face wrap. And everybody was like, uh, ah, you look so steampunk. And really, I wasn't trying. It just kind of happened that way. But hmm. um, I uh, have it, having not much uh, not much hair, having a, a hat incorporated into my costume was a, a good thing because the sun was sun was pretty brutal out there. Yeah, yeah I resemble that remark, too. Yeah. So it's like that. <laughs> Totally, totally agree. And and frankly, it's, 
you know, it Burning Man to go there, it's like um they're looking for participants. So it's it's like you you stand out if you're being a bystander. If you're if you're more of a participant, um I think you you know, you you get in the spirit of it more and frankly people um are we were interviewing people. We were talking to all sorts of folks and and when you do that it's it's like you know, having a goofy costume is a goofy costume is kind of the coin of the realm. Hmm. So you did interview a lot of people, talked to a lot of people, both at the at the event and, and at the airport. Um, so uh, what about some of the more memorable characters you meant, uh, whether pilots or, or participants? Um, I know there's a few that stand out for each of you. Yeah, I you know, all pretty much everyone we met at the airport was just super nice. I mean, um, you know, everybody has kind of a playa name, you know, which isn't their real name. And I've kept in touch with a few of them through Facebook and things like that afterwards. So uh, I forget what their ply names were, but they were all great people. Well, I, like, I, uh, I can help you with that. It's like uh, Purple Haze, Dave, okay. Dave Barrett yep, and his absolutely. wife uh, Lula. They were, you know, they own a 182 that they use for the sole purpose. The reason they keep this plane is to give rods at Burning Man. And, uh, you know, extremely open, generous people. And they give hundreds of rods at Burning Man. Um, Jake, the uh, Jake. the yeah, the, Jake uh, the, the trike pilot, I think he gave a hundred rods at Burning Man, and he flew that trike from uh, you know from Central California over the Sierra Nevada mountains to get to Burning Man and pre-positioned his own fuel so that he could give lots of rods while he was at the event. And a trike is actually a great way to see Burning Man from the air because it's low and slow, and uh, you know it's kind of not too noisy up there, and it's just a Great view, I bet. Yeah, absolutely. It was great. And then uh, Ramona Cox, a sky chick. Yeah. She's uh, she's flown her Cessna 206 to this event, I think, just about every year since 1996. And, uh, you know, she she was extremely mm-hmm. helpful to us in the planning to say what to bring, um, you know, what things are, are going to be, what are what's essential to have at, at, at Burning Man to make it an enjoyable experience. Would you go again? How, how do you do? You feel transformed from the experience? Are you happy to get home? I am not in any rush to go back. I I might do it. You know, it's uh, maybe it's kind of kind of what people say about childbirth. You know, given enough time, you forget you forget about it and you, and you do it again. <laughs> not exactly a ringing endorsement. Uh, not there. <laughs> a ringing endorsement, but no, it's um, it was uh, it, it it was challenging. It was interesting. It was. It was fun, um, but you know, it was something I'm glad I did. But uh, probably, probably not going to rush back anytime soon. Hmm. Yeah, I got to say, I'm not uh, not likely. To, you're not going to likely see me at Burning Man year after year. It's it's. Uh, I was glad I went. I had a great time while I was there. I'd consider going back. It'd be it'd be fun to go back and be a participant more than a um, kind of on the clock doing a job and mm-hmm. and. Um, but I think if in the future, if I ever did go back again, I would want to be more like Purple Haze, Burning Man. I would want to I would want to go there and give rides because that's one thing that pilots can do, you know. And it's a, it's it's something that's that's sort of unique that that uh, that we can provide. It's a experience that the um, that the participants, the people we take flying, will never forget. And um and you know if I were to go back I would really do it with the with the idea of setting up to give some really quality rods around the around the high desert. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. Thank you. Andy.
All right, so Ian had a great time hanging with you, uh, doing a little hanger talk today. But where can our listeners find us on the net? Yeah, so um, always subscribe via iTunes or um, on the AOPA website. All right, well, let's uh, bookmark that for next time we do hanger talk. Yeah, and um, what are we talking about next time? Drones, I think. I think that you're going to find there's a lot of movement in the drone community, and we have some exciting drone news here at AOPA. Um, We got one. Yeah, like Christmas. (laughs) I saw you guys uh, having fun with it. So, all right, we'll talk about that next time, plus the headlines. Thanks, Dave, and uh, we'll see you at the airport. All right, blue skies, everybody. (laughs) 